we've seen more change in the last six months than we saw in the last six years. And and if you think about pre-COVID, how difficult it was to get someone on a Zoom call. I mean, if they were a non-tech person, most people were like, eh, let's just talk on the phone. Let's meet in person. And, and, and now, now, if you can't figure out Zoom, you don't exist. <laughs> You know, there's a strategy in search engine optimization called the skyscraper technique uh, by this guy, Brian Dean. And uh, he's managed to build a huge presence for himself. And he basically has this, this strategy he uses called the skyscraper technique, which says that if you want to rank number one for a search phrase, like maybe best Pinot Noir or best production music licensing or cybersecurity firms, you just search those terms, you check out the top results, and you write a more comprehensive article than the top ranking ones, right? So you basically look at what's out there and you just write something longer, something bigger, something, you know, more words. And so as a result of that, you have a ton of these obnoxious 10,000 word skyscraper posts that rank really well in search for high purchase intent, bottom of the funnel search phrases, but that aren't really useful. And what I'm hearing from experts is that the shift from artificial intelligence or to artificial intelligence is beginning to neuter that approach, which is a good thing because if you search what is doublespeak, you don't want 10,000 words. You want a quick answer. Uh, one of the ways Google handles that now is with these rich snippets, right? Those expandable Q&A kiosks that appear in search results so you can get short answers. And uh, Nigel Stevens, who was on our sister program, the B2B Lead Gen podcast, and who does SEO for Hotjar and Intercom and Unsplash and BigCommerce, says he's seeing ranking for shorter posts that are more concise and succinct start to work. He's starting to outrank skyscrapers with short, concise posts. And Joe Rahm, who we heard from uh, on this podcast as well, who's an MIT PhD of physics, argues stories are more compelling than facts. Uh, it's all about headlines. And if you want to master headlines, study Shakespeare, the Greek philosophers, and Jesus Christ. Um, our guest today is a thought leader at the nexus of SEO and story. His uh, presentation at Inbound was one of the most talked about sessions, and he's one of those rare birds who's good at both arts and sciences. And I say that because marketing and PR people are overwhelmingly math haters, which is why so many of us are scared away from search engine optimization. Of the thousands of digital marketing boot camps I've taught, SEO is always the toughest for people to get. I always do it first thing in the morning on the second day. And if that's you, if you're a language person who hates SEO because you hate numbers, you're going to love our guest today. Uh, he runs a, a search performance marketing agency called Fire and Spark in Cambridge, Mass. I'm delighted to have him uh, on this program. Now, if this is your first time with us today, we uh, record these sessions live. If you're listening to the podcast or watching the simulcast on social media, you can actually sign up to attend live at ericschwartzman.com forward slash webinar. Uh, if you are live with us, the chat is for chat, so I don't shut it down. I don't police it. Chat amongst yourself network. This is your community. And uh, the Q&A is for questions. So if you have questions, please put those in the Q&A, and I'll bring you on screen to ask your question. 
Um, this episode of the Earned Media Hour is presented by TalkWalker, which is my favorite social media monitoring dashboard. If you want to listen to how customers use social media to make buying decisions, you want TalkWalker. I like it because it gives me actionable insights from intelligence to impact. And you can sign up for a free trial at ericschwartzman.com forward slash TalkWalker. And it is my pleasure to welcome Dale Bertrand to the Earn Media Hour. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I know you you and I met at the massively virtual uh, inbound conference this year with 76,000 people. Um, but nice to pick somebody out of the crowd uh, I can meet for the first time. Dale, what is purpose-driven SEO? So this is something I know you heard me talking about it at the conference and uh, I tend to talk about this a lot with, with clients and workshops that I do. Um, really with purpose-driven SEO, we're trying to solve some problems um, that have arisen as SEO has changed um, over the years. I mean, I've been doing SEO since 1999, which is crazy to think about. Um, but like the, the tech, technical side of SEO, everything that we're doing to optimize canonical tags, sitemaps, crawl budgets, that stuff is not going to get you the bang for the buck that you used to. And the reason why is, like we said, Google's more sophisticated. Um, Google's able to find the most useful content for a query. Um, and then also, we've noticed that established brands do better in rankings and do better in search engines than emerging brands. Um, and and another thing that I'll say is super important, there's a lot of factors here, but, but just one more that I'll mention, is like authority is important and you're getting authority primarily with backlinks when websites are linking to you. So there's a clickable link in an article to your website that looks like an endorsement to Google. So backlinks are important to raise your authority. Um, SEO is so competitive nowadays that you need authority in, in most markets. And it used to be that you could just optimize for a keyword and you would rank, but now you need to optimize for a keyword and have some authority from backlinks. So this is all getting to like, how did we get to purpose-driven SEO? Because we're, we, um, a while back, took a look at all the projects that we had worked on um, over the last year or two. And the ones that did really well were the ones where we had a path to building authority and fixing technical issues and um, building out content over time that was optimized to be relevant for the keywords that we care about. And those clients had a purpose. They had a, a purpose behind their branding and their, their purpose might've been central to their branding um, or they had a purpose that centered around their products or a mission behind the company. And what that purpose allowed them to do was to build content that resonated with their customers and influencers that are going to write about their, their website and link to them. So Google sees those links and they get the authority. And the purpose also allowed them to um, just to put together a content plan that allowed them to really scale it up. And the same thing on the authority side with links and content partners and all that. So we really started to focus on uh, purpose-driven, mission-driven strategies around SEO. And, and we really want people to understand that in order to leverage this, this purpose-driven SEO strategy, you, you, you do need a purpose. It does need to be authentic. Um, it, it's really best if it's, if it's central to your branding but it doesn't need to be a social mission. It can, the purpose could be something like 
the, the craftsmanship of your products or the, the quality of your products or the backstory of the founders. Uh, we work with, we work with a client who has, uh, well, he's a, he's a firefighter. Um, so he's able to, to build a brand around his, his purpose, which is to help injured firefighters. And um, it's, it's great that he's doing well, he's doing good in the world. And it's great that he's able um, to, as a side effect of that, he's got great SEO because Google notices. So, you know, when, when you, when you explain it to me like that, I'm thinking almost that when you say purpose driven or mission driven, it's, is it important that your mission or your purpose be unique, that it be new? It's like, important that it's compelling and, and uniqueness and newness helps. Um, I know like, for example, the, the client I'm talking about uh, where um, he's a firefighter and there's, you know, firefighter unions that are supporting his brand and, and all that sort of thing. Um, we could do the same thing with another, you know, company started by a firefighter. Um, and as soon as there are 50 of them, it, it starts to get harder, right? But it, it, it's a matter of, you know, how compelling the purpose is. So, so then if there's something that people are, what attracted me to your session in the first place was, was you called it mission-driven SEO, which is new. So when you offer a new idea and then you back it up with some substance, you are leading with thoughts, it's a thought leadership position. You're not repeating existing thoughts or jumping on the bandwagon or saying, yes, I do believe in this. This is something new. And it's almost like a skate to where the puck is going to be type approach because exactly, yes. you're almost SEOing for something that doesn't exist yet, which is why I ask, you know, when it comes to thought leadership, what is the role of thought leadership in search engine optimization? How important is it that I have really a baked framework for my idea that's unique that I can communicate intelligently it certainly helps but the the way I think about it is we're looking for like-minded influencers so whatever it could be thought leadership it could be a cause it could be a mission it could be a, a social change that I want to see in the world but I'm generating content that resonates with like-minded influencers and a lot of times people think about like bloggers or social media um, celebrities or something like that, but the world is so much bigger than that. Like we, we've partnered with law firms who are representing, like they're advocating for a position um, that that we that that's relates to our purpose, and we build content around that, and and the law firm will will participate, contribute to the content, and then link to it and help us promote it. Also like unions, like firefighters unions, if it happens to be a, a product company started by a firefighter or veterans groups, if it happens to be a company that's um, is supporting, supporting veterans in, in some way. So the world is so much bigger than just social media influencers when it comes to promotion or even bloggers or even journalists. <laughs> and I know you're, you've got, you've got a, um, I know you've got an audience of PR people, but um, the world is the world is just a lot bigger, and it, it really comes down to you know what what is our purpose? Um, who would care about that purpose? Is this is this purpose compelling to anybody? And finding those people, finding that tribe to help us get the message out, um, and allow you to to do good in the world, whether that's a social change you want to see, but it, it could also be raising the bar in your product category. 
So, so if I'm a PR person and yes. I'm a non-technical person, I'm a yes. language person. I don't, I'm not a numbers person. I don't know about backlinks and all the technical stuff, but I do want to, you know, try to help my clients rank by publishing content. Can I just focus on writing about my mission? If it's compelling enough, absolutely. And I, I know there's a technical SEO guy out there who just threw a dart at me, so I'm going to duck. But it, it, the, the one thing that we did is we, we studied brands that are doing really well with organic traffic and SEO that aren't doing SEO. Like, so they're doing well with organic visibility, but they're not optimizing for, for Google and search engines. And we all know, especially those of us who do this for a living, that there's a ton of brands out there that aren't doing SEO, but they have huge organic visibility. So, so talk the, to us about that. What is that? Why does that happen? It's because they're generating the right content. They've found an audience that engages with that content and Google's able to measure that. Google's able to see that. And then um, they're, because of that, they're ranking for keywords that are relevant to, to what they do and they, and they get noticed. Um, and, and if you stop and think about that for a second, like there, there aren't a lot of fields out there where you can you know, get the end result without doing the work. Um, it, it's like, it's like, you know, doing, getting Google ads clicks without ever opening or launching a Google ads campaign. Um, it, it, and the reason why is because Google isn't surfacing the content that is optimized the best. Like Google doesn't live to reward technical people for the correctness of their HTML code by giving them rankings. Like that's not the way Google works. Like Google's intention is to surface the most useful, the highest quality, the most trustworthy content for a query. And there are things that we can do as um, SEO specialists. There are things we can do on the technical side to give us an advantage, but that's not what Google's looking for. Google's looking for um, the most useful content. Jerry, you have a question? I'm muting my phone here. Hey, uh, Dale, uh, great session today so far. Eric, thanks for inviting me. Um, my question for you is, um, are you seeing any differences in uh, company strategies in getting results from SEO and or brand visibility in this post-COVID world? It seems like that there's almost in some cases a purposeful flux in what this nation is focusing on. And how are you seeing that impacting brands, especially smaller one, to get share of voice. Yeah, I mean, so it's always been a good, good, good strategy to skate to where the puck is going, right? Um, and what COVID did is just accelerate the future in a lot of ways. Um, most of my clients that I work with are e-commerce companies, and that, that happens to be the right place to be during the shutdown. <laughs> you know, have, have a bunch of clients that are selling online versus brick and mortar. Um, but but to, to answer your question, um, Search behavior has changed um, very noticeably in terms of the types of things people are, are, are searching for and, and buying online uh, versus retail. They might retail might be closed or they just they're it's inconvenient or they're afraid to go or, or something like that. Um, the other way to think about it in terms of accelerating the future is that the the types of products that people are searching for online are really like we we all we all knew that we were going to be over time, we're going to be watching more movies at home, let's say, as opposed to going to the theater. 
well, COVID kind of made that happen. <laughs> like all of a sudden, it's just like, it's just not going to come back in terms of there's always going to be movies, but we're just going to consume them differently, not shoulder to shoulder with people who might have a, a deadly virus um, sitting next to us. We'll consume our entertainment at home. And that is a trend that has been happening for a long time. On like bu- online e-commerce, buying online, that, that's a trend that's been accelerating um, for a long time. But COVID just, just gave us 10 years of, um, of acceleration on that trend in, in the matter of a few months. Um, so if you're in the right product category, then that's great. If you're in travel, obviously, um, it's a problem. I think one of the um, quotes from the keynote at Inbound this year was, we've seen more change in the last six months than we saw in the last six years. And and if you think about, you know, pre-COVID, how difficult it was to get someone on a Zoom call. I mean, if they were a non-tech person, most people were like, eh, let's just talk on the phone, let's meet in person. And, and, and now, now, if you can't figure out Zoom, you don't exist. <laughs> Barbara, you, you have a question you'd like to ask? I do. A couple of questions. And these are very inexperienced person questions. So, That's all right. All okay. questions are welcome. So you say optimize with authority. So I like that phrase. I understand it. Um, and then prior to you doing that, I mean, it just seems like optimization should have been done that way all along because it's sort of like being strategic about it versus just optimization for optimization. Can you explain the difference? Your intuition is 100% right, which is that you know Google's goal all along has been to surface the, the best, most useful, most trustworthy content for searchers. So, so, so your question, Barbara, is, well, why weren't we doing that all along? And the reason why yeah. is because there were technical manipulations that worked. And I did them and a lot of people did them because they worked and you could drive traffic and make money and, and charge consulting fees and, and all that sort of thing. Got it. The difference nowadays, and it's just really been acute over the last year, is that a lot of those opportunities for technical manipulations that move the needle, those are just going away. It's because Google's getting really good at what they yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, because that's really why I lost a lot of interest in this whole thing, was yeah. that so much of it could be manipulated versus real. Um, you know, like you're saying, you know, this is, it seems like it's a company can really point to what they're doing versus just doing it to do it. Kind of like, you know, media relations, instead of just doing media relations to get ink, you're doing media relations to get sales. So yeah, with, with SEO, um, traditionally, and, in, and we do the same thing because we need to know, is like we'll do um, a, a technical audit at the beginning of a project because we want to know how broken is this website? Is there anything that we need to fix? The difference is we just don't fix everything anymore. We'll fix like the top three or four things because those will, might move the needle. And then we quickly move on to focusing on uh, building authority, mostly through backlinks, but also mentions, reviews, thing, things like that, um, and, um, and content, because that's what matters. I want to take a quick break to let you know that uh, next week on the Earn Media Hour, Jay Schwedelson, a World Data CEO and Direct Marketing Association board member, is going to join us for an email marketing mastermind session focusing on what's working now post-COVID, and he'll be sharing research from over 40,000 campaigns to tell you what subject lines are getting opened, 
the right number of cents per week and uh, what types of messages are getting clicked. So um, join us for that next Wednesday. Uh, you can sign up to attend live at ericschwartzman.com forward slash webinar. And of course, if you're signed up already, you'll, uh, you'll be getting it. Um, we're also stacked with an amazing uh, list of guests. Uh, so you're not going to want to miss any of the upcoming sessions. I've got just killer speakers for the next four weeks. So make sure you're signed up at ericschwartzman.com forward slash webinar. Um, Dale, what is mission-driven outreach? So once we like really started to dig into like what types of campaigns are, are doing well for SEO, um, it, it really turned into a process where we're, we're choosing a mission. It needs to be authentic. So we're not making something up for marketing purposes. Um, it doesn't work if it's not authentic. Um, then from there, we're building out, um, we're building out content and the, when I started with SEO, um, we could we could build a website, send a bunch of emails, and get people to link to it. Um, that stopped working a, a while ago uh, because so many people are getting emails, they just don't don't pay attention to them and they don't link. Um, then what we were doing was writing awesome content. Content we would call it 10x content. Like if it's you're talking about the skyscraper technique, like if it really is like noticeably better than what else is out there then we could write an email, do some outreach around the, the, the 10X content, and we can get links to it. And that's how we're building our, our technical search engine authority uh, with Google. Um, but that's getting really hard too. So instead, we're building you know, what we call um, citable content, which is like the type of content that like-minded influencers, like influencers out there that care about our purpose, whatever, whatever that is, um, we're building content that they could cite uh, to, to make their point. Um, that could be like an interview or a survey or something data-driven or something like that. And the reason why we call it mission-driven outreach is because we're not emailing and say, hey, link to my website. And we're not emailing and saying, hey, look how awesome our content is. Um, we're emailing about the mission, which is like, hey, we're like-minded. Help us spread the word. Look what we did. This could help you spread the word. And that's how we're building content partnerships, um, relationships that, that might be useful, affiliate partners, things like that. Um, and then also backlinks so that we're building this like technical SEO, uh, sorry, technical search engine authority with Google. You know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm promoting uh, um, one of the guests to ask a question, but, be, but before you do um, guest, and I don't know if that's Bob, did I get the right one for you, Bob? Because um, you actually are, I think you're logged in twice here. Yeah, this is Nancy. We're together. Okay. So. Can I ask you to hold for just one sec? Because yeah. I want to ask a follow-up to what he, he was yeah. just saying. So when you, when you talk about, you know, mission-driven outreach and, and sort of, you know, citable content, do you find that you have to really dumb it down and get it out there quick for people to have the patience to consume it? I mean, at, at this point is, you know, are long words and, and a dense clappy block a deterrent to getting your message across? I mean, people don't read, they scan on the web. Um, and, and, and I'm lucky because I'm a slow reader, so I scan everything. <laughs> so I can tell whether somebody's going to actually read it or not. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's so funny. Like it's not your, that question almost threw me for a loop because it, your goal isn't necessarily to get people to actually read what you write. You want to get them to promote it. So remember like in, on social media, people retweet articles. They don't even read it. They, they do They retweet based on the headline. 
Thank you. Nancy, would you like to ask your question? Thank you. Sorry about that. How do yeah, you welcome. get that that first backlink? You know, before when you're just starting out and you don't have the authority established yet, how, how do you, because I'm very new at this. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a great question because we get this a lot. When you're just starting out, like getting a, a few backlinks that are going to help you rank is really important. Like you don't want to have zero links. Google just doesn't know if they can trust you because nobody else online trusts you because nobody's willing to link to you is the way that Google looks at it. So you, and, and that's very different from the way you would really scale it up, you know, go from a handful of links to hundreds and thousands of links, which is a completely different endeavor. So when we're working with uh, an emerging brand, a startup, or, you know, your website, um, you really want to look at existing relationships. And, and for your, Nancy, for your website, what, what kind of site is it? Is it, is it? Well, we're uh, consulting to marketing um, and kind of product marketing services. So, so we're kind of a uh, B2B type service. So then what I would look at is relationships that you have. So events that you're involved in, even events you're attending, events that you're speaking at. Um, and then also any other, any other um, like subcontractors or other marketers that you've worked with on projects. Um, ask them if, if they can link to you on, their, on your, their website. Sometimes you write an article, give it to them, it links to you in the byline and that's good enough. Right. But you really want to find a few of those relationships where you can get some links uh, so that you're, you don't have zero okay. and then, and then go from there. From, from, for me, I do a lot of workshops, podcasts like this and conferences and stuff like that. So I'm just making sure every time I do an event, I get a link. Um, Eric, just letting you know. Um, but, <laughs> but um, that, that's, that's my whole strategy uh, just cause I do a lot of events. I'm going to add, I'm going to add on to this. So, um, Nancy, you're probably familiar with the, the, the monikers owned, shared, earned, and paid media. Yep. I, I, th I feel like when you're getting started, it's useful to take a sequential approach to how you implement your strategy from media channel standpoint. And here's why. Uh, I think the easiest way to get the backlink is going to be to guest, write a guest post on someone else's site. And usually in return for the guest post, in your byline, they'll repay you with the link. And you'll be able to choose the link that you, you know, link back to your site. The problem is, you know, if you go straight to guest posting, really the first thing, I mean, I, I do when someone asks me if, if, if they can guest post for my site is I say, well, let me take a look at your blog because I want to see their stuff. So I feel like, you know, your first order of business is kind of your own media, your own website, your own blog. You got to have some stuff for people to look at. Mm -hmm. And I think that's usually good enough for me, for my blog. But I know that when I'm pitching a media site to do a byline, because I write, I guest post on a lot of sites, and those are better inbound links than only from my site. They not only want to see my blog, they want to take a look at my social media following how many followers do I have on Twitter? You know, am I going to be able to promote this content and make it worth their while? Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, first you got to get your own site in order. You got to get some good content up there that they can look at. Second, you got to build a little social following. And I think at that point, you're ready to approach earn media. And I sent you a link to a white paper that sort of walks you through that process. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That's terrific. Um, Dale, 
what is citable content? What makes content citable? Um, we, so we were taking this mission-driven approach where we're basically, you know, we've decided that we want to wrap a mission around the, the content and authority building and the technical stuff that we decide to do. And just to give you an example, um, there was a, a campaign we worked on a while ago. There was a, a law that was being considered. I think it was a rule for the, the Consumer Product Safety uh, Administration that said every ch- children's product had to do $100,000 worth of lead testing before you could sell the first product. So if you were a manufacturer, no matter what size, you had to do the testing, very expensive testing. The problem was that there were handmade uh, children's products, like handmade toys sold on Etsy, where those hand, the makers of those products were just not going to be able to afford the testing. So we got involved in that by basically leading the charge against this new law, uh, so, or at least get a carve out for the small volume, like handmade um, Etsy sellers or, or people like that. And the way we did it was we interviewed handmade toy makers so that they could explain like how this law was going to affect them, put them out of business. This was their livelihood and it was unfair. So those were interview articles. And then we promoted them to advocacy groups and law firms um, that were involved in the, the ongoing litigation around this law. And what, and we're calling this citable content because these are advocacy groups. They have a point of view. They're trying to, they're trying to get their message out. And even the law firms that we promoted it with, like they're, they're trying to get the, their, the message out on behalf of their clients. And we, what we did was we put together like original content um, that was just giving voice to a particular, to a, one story, one individual who was going to be infected, it, that was going to be affected by this. I got COVID on the brain, so I'm talking about infected. was <laughs> going to be affected by this law. And um, these advocacy groups and law firms were able to cite that content, link to it, promote it, because it, it helped them get their message out. And that's how we were able to get the promotion that we did around that campaign. I want you to rank these in order of importance, okay? SEO, content marketing, PPC, social media marketing, social media advertising. So I'll repeat them again. SEO. I I have a very good memory. Well, maybe people who are listening don't. (laughs) Okay, go ahead, go ahead. SEO. Content marketing, PPC, social media marketing, and social media advertising. Rank those in order of importance. So you're going to hate my answer. Because it depends. Like, it 100% depends. So I, I give All right. Let's, let's, you know what? Let me, let me give you a scenario. Because okay. I think we have a lot of um, folks who maybe are coming from PR and marketing, maybe aren't as digital. So if you're newer, if you're just getting started with a client that doesn't really have much juice, um, you know, like Nancy's dealing with clients who don't have a lot of juice, what's going to be most important for her? SEO, content marketing, PPC, social media marketing, or social media advertising? So if this new client has a consumer product and they're, they're, they're new, they're a startup, it's an emerging brand. Um, you, you're really in the phase of your brand where you're trying to find your audience. So we want to use the channel like that would be best at like, helping you find your audience. And for consumer brands, that's social. And that's what I would do. If on the other hand, um, you're starting your PR and you're starting out with a new client 
and your client is, let's say, B2B, um, they might be a consulting firm or maybe a software company that sells to businesses, um, a, a, lot of t- a lot of times, excuse me, we would start and take a drink of water. We would start with um, content marketing, like you're really just getting started because we need to, we need to raise awareness. We need, it, it's a considered purchase. It's not an impulse buy. So there's, there's a bit of education around like getting people to raise their hand and say that they, they want to have a sales conversation. So, so that's a case where like we would really start with, um, with content marketing. And I'm trying to think off the top of my head, a situation where we would start with advertising. Um, back in, back in the day, um, there were a lot of unmonetized keywords on, um, on like Google ads. And we would, we would definitely start with PPC if it was something like, you know, a unique product that we're trying to sell locally because, there's just and it's something that has to be sold locally because it just won't be as much competition. Um, so that's just one example of where when I would start with like with PPC. So talk to us a little bit about content monetization because I know that's that's your thing. How do you help publishers convert content into cash? It really has to do with thinking about like multiple ways to monetize. So we'll work with a publisher and the publisher might have an advertising model. And that's just kind of death for a lot of publishers, um, depending on who the advertisers are. But you could imagine the worst case scenario, which is it's like there are local businesses or something like that during COVID and you're kind of screwed. Um, so you could imagine like, do you have the ability to move towards a subscription model? And um, you really have to, you really have to have enough value there, like a like a um, a library of back content, or maybe have multiple media properties. But when you're moving from 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 something like you know advertising to subscription, you really want to overwhelm them with value. So it's like a no brainer um, IQ test whether they sign up for the for the subscription. Um, you know, not only am I going to get your your daily articles, but I'm going to get the 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 vault of um of podcasts and i'm going to have access to the the um i'm just trying to think the the op-ed section or something but but the point is there, there there needs to be a lot of value um there for that um the other thing that we've had success with is moving to a lead gen model and that'd be lead generation but but it has to be a specific industry where there's a market for leads. And, and I'll give you an example. Like we all know intuitively that a credit card company would pay 50 or a hundred dollars. Um, if I'm a publisher and I write an article about personal finance and at the bottom, I say, sign up for this visa card and Dale signs up and the publisher gets, you know, 50 bucks or whatever the kickback is. Um, that, that's a, that's a legion model. Um, and we, if you have the right content and you're going after one of the verticals where there's, there's just a lot of activity, like there's a, there's a, a thriving market for leads, um, then that could work. But that's like finance or education or um, automotive or, or something, something like that. Um, but then, then there's also like affiliate. So um, they'd be selling products like everybody knows about. You could, if you have a, a product, if I write a product comparison article on my blog and it gets a ton of traffic, I can put Amazon links on, in the article. If somebody clicks on one of those links and buys, I can get an affiliate commission. 
And that's awesome. And sometimes that works really well. Sometimes it's like pennies because um, there's not a lot of traffic or not a lot of people convert or the, the, the products themselves is like a $2 item or so. There's just not a lot of, not a lot of money in it. But where I've seen people do really well um, around affiliate is if you're, you're not selling a product, but you're selling, or sorry, you're, you're, you're linking to like a software product um, where the manufacturer or the, the company's margins are a lot bigger. So they're just going to pay a lot more than Amazon is um, in terms of uh, the commission that you get every time somebody signs up for that software subscription or something like that. So, so, so you know, you can, you can engineer uh, a digital marketing campaign from your, your desk in Cambridge that's international. Um, and I know you have a lot of experience doing that. So talk to us about international B2B content marketing specifically. How do you get that right market by market? Wow, that's really tough. I mean, what, what, I mean, what we do is so labor intensive that I wouldn't recommend it to everybody. Um, but what we do is we have an SEO specialist on the ground in every country that we're targeting. And um, we will we'll run the strategy um, centrally, you know, from our office here in beautiful Cambridge, Massachusetts. But we'll have somebody on the ground in the country uh, who speaks the language and can talk to folks there to understand what content topics they that are going to resonate. And every country is different, so it's really hard um, to do without somebody on the ground. Um, but you can you can find people you can find people in every country that you want to deal with. And then you you also run into issues around different search engines like Baidu in 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 China and then Yandex and Nader and like so that's also something to think about. But um, if you're adept at optimizing for Google, you'll mostly get it right for those other search engines. They're just um, immature. Well, they're just they just they're chasing Google in terms of their technology. Um, so 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 that that's that's the way we do it. But it, it's tough. Like you really really would want to have marketers in each country to really get it right. And servers. Where, where, what, uh, are there any specific uh, places you like to go to find those people? Um, I mean, it so depends. Like, I mean, is it an Eastern European country? Is it, is it Russia? Is it? What's uh, good for Eastern Europe? Uh, there's a site that we use, um, jobrack.eu. Okay. People in, Serbia, Macedonia, Greece uh, kind of region. Um, we've worked with people in Odessa, Ukraine, who speak Ukrainian and Russian. There's some political issues around that. So you got to be okay. You got to kind of now that we're getting into like the real nitty gritty here. Um, but um, and then like if you're if you're looking at Asian countries, um, you just have to you have, just have to make sure um that you just have to make sure you're working with somebody on the ground who like, who like knows it and can, can explain um, political issues, use the right words, different connotation. Uh, Cause I don't speak the language. Like I'm an American. I speak English. So like, I, I don't know. So um, talk to us about one of the multi-million dollar campaigns that you did that you're most proud of. Oh, good question. Um, there's a bunch of them. So I was really, really proud of GrabCAD, which is an engineering um, company. And they have a... GrabCAD? Yeah. Like CAD design? Yeah, yeah. There's one of the... I worked with them a while ago, and we just blew up in the engineering space. So I was just really excited that the strategy worked. 
they were able to go from like, you know, a thousand visitors a month to, um, did they have 6 million registered visitors or something like that? Um, so I was just really excited about that. And then other times I've been excited. We've worked with a number of startups and it's just a lot of fun. What I love is meeting a startup founder who's just, you know, out to change the world. And then it, it actually happens. You know, they, they build the product. It resonates. Um, we put together campaigns that, that get it out there. And then we refine the messaging as we transition from the early adopters to more of mass market appeal. And I, I love the fact that, you know, as an agency, I'm able to go through that process with entrepreneurs kind of continuously. So my, uh, my background is public relations, and uh, I launched a company called iPressroom, which was the first online newsroom CMS for non-technical people, a content management system that was used by PR people to manage the newsroom section of a corporate website. And I launched that a long time ago. And so I spent my whole career trying to um, teach conventional PR people and marketing people how to use digital technology to do their jobs. So, and now I create content around that. This podcast is about that. My blog's about that. My other podcast is around that. What advice would you have for me of how I could grow my audience? Um, very interesting. It sounds to me like you're going after PR people. Is, is that true in terms of um, you, like a larger audience of PR people? I, I, that's my core audience, but I also like to work with entrepreneurs and business owners as well. Okay. So okay. PR people on the agency side or in-house, um, business owners, entrepreneurs, and digital marketers. So at the end of the day, you need to add more value. So the question is, how do you add more value? And I think it would be a hybrid business model where you're, you're not just publishing. So at the end of the day, if you think about it, there's a number of people who are listening to our conversation today. And let's take, for example, somebody who like, who's in PR. Um, the reason why they're listening is not because you and I look good or they like, to, they like the cadence of my voice. It's not even like the, the expert content and ideas that we're coming up with. Like they want to serve their clients better, find more clients, make more money, be more successful, uh, feed their family, pay their mortgage. So what I would think about is like, what, did, what could you add to what you're already doing as a publisher that would get them more of what they really want, which is not, not the content. Like if they could get what they really want without having to listen to you and me, they would do that. So, so what is it that they really want? And then you end up with, and I'll just give you an example, because we did this a while back. I, 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 had, I, I ran a publishing business for a while. We, we put together um, content for nurses. And what we ended up doing was, yeah, it worked, and we were able to monetize it with advertising and lead gen and all that. Um, but we, we, um, ended up, we ended up doing some, some kind of lead gen where we were recruiting travel nurses and we were we weren't just generating we just we weren't just generating content that would attract travel nurses so we could tell them about the opportunity like we 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 stood up a call center where we could vet them and basically add more value by instead of just selling advertising inventory we were selling vetted leads of um, travel nurses that were interested in specific destinations 
So at the end of the day, we were just able to deliver more value to our advertisers at the time um, by giving them what they actually wanted. Because if they could get what they actually wanted without having to talk to me about my ad, ad inventory, they would. <laughs> so what is well, it? That they well, the thing is, you know, I would, I really would like to have hard abs and get them while I sleep. Yeah. You know, I want hard abs while I sleep. And, and, and there's a, a lot of people out there that'll promise you that you can get hard abs while you sleep. But the truth is you can't get hard abs while you sleep. There's a lot of people out there that will promise you that you can learn digital marketing in an afternoon and be successful and have the life you want and financial independence. And there, it's like a dime a dozen. But the truth is there, it's a boondoggle, right? You and I know SEO takes time. Uh, organic marketing takes time. Um, building an owned, shared, and earned and paid media strategy takes time. And so, you know, on the one hand, what people want is they want it quick. Um, so, you know, I could tell them, hey, I'll give you that quick and sign up, which a lot of people do, but it's not true. So the, pr the challenge of giving people what they want is what they want often doesn't exist. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's why life is hard. So business is hard. Life is hard. Um, trust me, there's a lot of things I, that come to mind right now um, that I would love that I can't have. And <laughs> so, but the point is, um, like, answer, answering your question around, like, you as a publisher, how could you grow your audience? Like, it's about adding more value in, in a credible way where you're actually adding value, not just snake oil. Um, and, and understanding your, your audience, like your existing audience that, that you have now and, and you, why are they really here and delivering real value. Like it's not okay to sell snake oil for sure. So if you're listening, tell us why you here. Are you here because Dale and I are so good looking and you like the sound of our voice or is there something specific that you want from us here? Um, we'd love to know. And uh, while we're waiting for those answers, Dale, um, I want you to tell us the most difficult phrase you've ever ranked for. Okay. Oh. How'd you do it? Walk us through it. Soup to nuts. Uh, okay. Well, I tell two stories. Right? So you're, this is like, you know, having a beer at an SEO conference kind of territory. Um, there, there are two stories that I tell, both of which are true. Um, one around the keyword um, nursing degree, which we worked really hard to rank number one for that. Um, and that worked, that worked out well for me because um, I owned the site and um, I, it was around the time that my son was born and I didn't want to work for a while. Um, so that, that ranking right there worked out well for me. We monetized it uh, by selling leads to a number of universities. Um, and then the other story I tell um, over a beer, if you want to hear everything that, you know, was involved is, um, is uh, mortgage rates. So this is one of my clients and they wanted to rank for the keyword mortgage rates, which is insanely um, competitive. But what we were able to do, and I'm not sure this would work now, is, um, is get them signed up as a uh, in Google News as a Google with a Google News feed on their on their blog, and they published a mortgage rates update three times a day, and we were able to stay at the top of the page as a news article 
um, just all the time publishing three three times a day, and that was ins- that was insanely valuable. Final question, and then I'm going to let you go. Um, how does COVID change the way you approach go-to-market strategy? I, I mean, the biggest thing that comes to mind is I wouldn't go to market unless I had like a, a tailwind behind me. So what what I've learned in like the years that I've been in business and COVID really just makes this crystal clear is that you know, as skilled as I am as a marketer and a business owner, I would still rather be in a market with a with the, the wind at my back. I would rather be riding a huge wave than to be really good at what I do. And COVID has just pointed that out in so many different ways. Like if you think about the 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 industries and the businesses that have gone under, there are a lot of restaurants that have closed for good. They've closed permanently through no fault of their own. It wasn't because they they didn't know how to run a restaurant or they 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 didn't uh, prepare adequately or anything like that. Uh, it's the wrong place at the wrong time. And then you have um, you know you have e-commerce sites. I was trying to think um, the, the, a guy that I knew that was selling med- ready to eat uh, meal packs, like the the I think they're MREs that the military the military sells. And this guy sold out of his inventory and like a week he's like a millionaire in his 20s and all he did was buy a whole bunch of MREs and start a website and it's like dumb luck right so when it when it comes to business like i i work really hard to get better and better at digital marketing and you know running my consultancy every day but if but if i had if i had to like start over again i'd be looking for looking to ride that wave um i i want the wind at my back because that actually matters more Dale, if um, someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do it? So believe it or not, email. So dale at fireandspark.com. Uh, you, can, you can also come to our website, so fireandspark.com, all spelled out, and see more about what we do and feel free to reach out. Um, if anybody has specific questions, I'm always happy to talk. Well, um, I want to uh, just give a, a final uh, thanks also to our sponsor, TalkWalker. Uh, for making today's show possible. Again, if you want to get a free trial of the best social media monitoring dashboard out there, go to ericschwartzman.com forward slash talkwalker. And I want to thank Dale for taking the time to do this recording with us today. Oh, thanks a lot. It was fun. It was fun. Good questions, and we should do it again sometime. Would love that. Awesome.